excellent. And he deserves an excellent praise from an excellent band and an excellent worship team. Thank you all so much. Y'all kill that. It's like a dress rehearsal for heaven up in here, I tell you. Amen, amen. Wow. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Before I pray, there's one last announcement I'd like to make. I thank God for Dr. Mona as she shared. As the Spirit of the Lord came upon her to speak about love and justice. Uh, her schedule is so busy. I've been trying to get her to preach on a Sunday morning because she's got so much in her. So y'all pray her schedule frees up so that we can get her to give us more. Um, the class that she leads with Jermaine, her husband, my wife, Darina, uh, is an excellent offering to the Lord. Um, the sons of Issachar, the Bible says, understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And as believers, we must understand the times. We can't be so spiritual that we are out of touch with what's happening. And so thank God um, for you. Um, as you know, we have had a relationship with Covenant Presbyterian Church, which is the church that um, oversees Covenant School um, that went through the tragedy a few weeks ago uh, with the shooting there. And we have done our best to be there with them, for them, so many other churches that they're connected to have also been there for them. Koinonia Church, Christ Presbyterian Church, so many because, as my wife said earlier, the kingdom of God is bigger than any one local church. Amen. It is the body of Christ. And uh, we, we do outreach together as churches. And um, we have an outreach coming up where we're going to serve teachers. Um, how many know that teachers are overworked and underpaid? Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. And, and as we're, um, you know, praying for just legislation, I pray the time will come where we will also be able to um, have legislation that increases the pay and support of teachers. And so there are many teachers who have to buy their own supplies in order to teach children. And they do it on their meager salaries because they love what they do. And uh, now they're even teaching amid so much confusion and controversy concerning what they can or cannot say and, and uh, doing drills for active shooters and people talking about making doors more fortified and teachers carrying guns. It, it, it is a tough time to be a teacher. So one of the things we try to do as a church over the years is just come alongside of teachers and just be a source of encouragement to them to let them know that they are not forgotten that we see them, we admire them, we think highly of them. And so um, we would do this work with Covenant Press, and we have three schools that we serve together as a church. But right now with all that they're going through, um, we're not gonna allow them to uh, take this on in addition to them trying to um, redirect what their lives are gonna be like right now. So Lasagna is in close contact with their outreach coordinator and um, what we're going to do is we're going to serve the school. As I mentioned, we serve three schools. They serve one, we serve one, and then we serve one together. And so we're just going to do all three ourselves as a church right now as they um, get on their feet as a body. Um, 
And we know that they'll probably still join us because sometimes you, you got to serve your way through um, pain. And, uh, and so, but we're going to take this on. But to do this, we're not taking any money from them. Um, we're going to provide. And God has been good to Strong Tower, <clears throat> but we also know that there may be some people who want to give to that. Um, we're going to buy gifts for teachers, supplies for teachers. We're even going to feed the teachers a, a good meal. So we're just going to go to these three schools, Wright Middle, J.T. Moore, and what's my other school? Paragon Mills Elementary School. So some of them are in your neighborhood. So if you would like to give a special gift above and beyond what you give to the Lord, there is a uh, scan box there that you can hit and uh, you can make your gift payable there. And, uh, and Lasagna, you'll let us know when we go out because you're going to need feet on the ground and hands and hugs and all that. How, how many teachers do I have in, in the house right now? If you are a teacher, raise your hand. If you are a teacher. Amen. We thank God for you. We thank God for you. It's not easy. We're praying with you. We're praying for you. Don't give up. Um, please stay with our children during this time. All right. I'm going to get in trouble for what I'm about to say. It's a praise report. It's a praise report. I'm still going to get in trouble, but I'm going to you know, give God the glory anyhow. My daughter Chase, um, she had applied for graduate school at UT Knox, and she was in this program and where hundreds of people had applied. And it was narrowed down to two. And she was one of the two that received entryway into this program. But before you clap, hold on. UT said, because of budget cutbacks, we can only fi finance one person. So we're going to finance the one who graduated from the undergrad. Chase graduated from uh, Chattanooga, UT Chattanooga. And so she was left out of that. And so um, it was devastating. It was hard. She did everything she was supposed to do. Had a great interview. Uh, Dr. Mona assisted her. Dr. Jewell encouraged her. She was ready. And uh, so we had to sit in that pain for a minute. And uh, she began to pray and fast and still felt the Lord was calling her to UT. And so um, one of those professors who interviewed her um, sent her a text this past week saying that, uh, some money may have come available, and uh, we want you. So my daughter, full tuition, insurance. Where you at, Chase? Where are you, honey? I know I'm going to get it. Where are you? Can you stand, Chase? Can you stand, baby? Can you stand, baby? My baby got a full ride. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now she's looking for an apartment up there. So if anybody know anybody that got some real estate. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm sorry, baby. I had to. Amen. <laughs> Acts chapter one. Today's message is the king is in heaven. The king is in heaven. Let's pray. Yes, right on King Jesus. No man 
can hinder you. Ride on, King Jesus, ride on. No man can hinder you. You are God. You are king. You are Lord. You are master. We love you. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us, that we could come to know you as our Lord, as our God, and as our Savior. Now, Lord, as we talk about you for a little bit, would you allow the Holy Spirit to give us some illumination and insight into what you're doing right now in heaven? May we leave impressed with you. Uh, may we leave giving you even greater glory because we have a greater understanding of all that you do to keep on serving us from glory. You are amazing. Holy Spirit, not only would you teach us the word, but would you help us to be like Jesus today? May the word um, reach hearts today that are ready and fertile and ready to not only be a hearer, but a doer. We love you so much. And Lord, save the lost today. If there's someone here who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that today would be the day they become born all over again, that all of their sins would be forgiven and that they would be your child today. Make it happen, oh God. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we left our hero, Jesus Christ, last week, he had been raised from the dead. I said when we left our hero, Jesus Christ, last week, he had been raised from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after he resurrected, he hung around for 40 days. And this is big because he told Mary, as we saw last week, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me because I have yet to ascend to my father. So that is where he wanted to go. He wanted to get back into the presence of his father. But again, because he's such a servant and he is uh, so much into seeing his kingdom go forth, he hung around for 40 extra days teaching about the kingdom of God and demonstrating many infallible proofs, proofs that he was alive. And then we go to Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After those 40 days, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this is the ascension of Christ, where he steps on a cloud, and a cloud takes him up to glory. And no doubt during that time, he is reunited with his father. And it's something that the Bible does not talk about because really, who could testify about something like that? Who, who, who could be caught up past the third heaven to that place where only God resides, where the son and the father are reunited? Because he had cried on the cross, why have you forsaken me, father? 
The father turned his back on his son so that he might turn his face towards all of us. But they are reunited, and it feels so good, I would imagine. <laughs> but my question is, Jesus has been in heaven because the angel said he's in heaven, and the way you saw him go is the same way he's going to return. Well, it's been 2,000 years since he's been in heaven. And my question is, what is he doing up there? <laughs> what has he been doing for 2,000 years? I mean, if you've never asked that question, I hope you're thinking about it now. Like, yeah, what is he doing up there? Well, that's what I want to talk with you about today. Just some of the things that Jesus has been doing for the past 2,000 years and is doing right now. But as I consider such a lofty thought, I am feeling the weight of my own imperfections, my own unworthiness and my own finiteness as I attempt to peek into the incalculable incalculable depths of God's being and actions. That being the case, I have to stay in the Bible to let the Bible say just some of the things that Jesus has been doing and is doing right now in heaven. So go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews. Jesus, what are you doing up there? Well, open up the word and I'll show you Hebrews chapter 10. Now read it, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Did you see that? That he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus, what are you doing in heaven? Well, one thing, he's sitting. He's sitting down. Now, I need to let you know that Jesus is not sitting down because he's tired. No, in, in his humanity, he got tired. But in this new form of God, man in heaven, where, where his glory is not veiled at all, he, he does not tire, he does not slumber, he does not sleep. So Jesus did not sit down on the throne after accomplishing his mission on earth because he was tired. No, he sat down because he was worthy. He sat down. And not just in any seat, but on the right hand of God the Father. He sat there because he's worthy. He also sat down because his mission to offer and provide salvation for sinners like you and me was completed. How many folks know you sit down when your job is done? And as Sister Michelle preached so eloquently on Good Friday, it is finished. The sister dealt with it, didn't she? It is finished. You see, in the Greek, that is one phrase, tetelestai, which means paid in full. It is done. And so Jesus sat down because he's worthy, and the job was completed, done, and paid in full. But if I go over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we are encouraged to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Pastor, how am I going to get through some of this stuff? Oh, it's so hard. How do I endure it? You need to have some joy on the other side. 
Trouble won't last always. You got to have something bigger than what you see right now. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, what are you doing? You are sitting down right now. Well, what's the significance of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God? It doesn't say left hand. Over 23 times in the Bible, you're going to see this phrase, Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. What's that all about? Well, the right hand of God is a place of honor. The right hand of God is a place of favor. But dig it. The right hand of God is also a right. It is a privilege. It is power. And it is preeminence. So only Jesus qualifies to sit in that seat, the right hand of God, because Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus does have the power, the privilege, the favor, and the right to sit in that seat. Only Jesus has the right to sit on the right hand of God. Only Jesus could approach God in the book of Revelation to take the scroll out of the hand of God. See, when you read the book of Revelation, uh, God has these scrolls in his hand, and, and they're weeping because nobody has the power to approach God and take the scrolls out of his hand. And John was losing hope, but then he said, wait, wait a minute, I see a lamb. Uh, having been slain, he, he's worthy. He has the power. He has the right. He has the privilege and the relationship with the Father to approach him and take the scrolls out of his hand. Oh, when I was growing up, we used to watch uh, these sitcoms in the 70s. Archie Bunker from All in the Family. Uh, uh, Red Fox or, or Fred Sanford and all uh, Sanford and Son. And, and both Archie and Fred had something in common. And that was, don't sit in their seat. <laughs> they both had a seat that they sat in. It was their Seat. If Rollo tried to sit, get out my seat, Rollo. If Meathead tried to sit in Archie's seat, get out my seat, Meathead. Because that's Archie's seat. That's Fred's seat. Well, I'm here to let you know that's Jesus' seat. And can't nobody sit in that seat but Jesus. One day, I, I believe I'm going to get into the Oval Office. One day. I, I'm going to speak it, Chauncey. One day, I'm going to be in the Oval Office, and, and I'm going to meet the president, whoever he or she may be. And one day I'm going to go into the Oval Office, but would not it be against decorum if I then went and tried to sit behind the desk of the president and sit in the seat of the president in the Oval Office? They, they, security would be up on me in a second. Why? Because that ain't my seat. I don't have the right to be in that seat. I don't have the power to be in that seat. I don't have the privilege to be in that seat. That's for the president of the United States. Oh, they carry me out of there real quick. <laughs> and that's Jesus. That's his seat. I'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. What is he doing in heaven? Well, one thing, he's sitting down. Not because he's tired, but because he's worthy. Because he has the power, the right, the privilege. But another thing he's doing in heaven, and we better be glad about this, is he's saving folks. From heaven, okay, okay. Uh, 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 Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen. 
So Jesus, while he's in heaven, he is able to save sinners to the uttermost. Since I'm a rapper from the guttermost to the uttermost, he's able to save folk, which means he's able to redeem us and forgive us and adopt us into his family. But when I look at this, what does it mean to save to the uttermost? Well, we go back to it is finished or it is completed. That is, he saves us completely. He saves us to the uttermost. In other words, he saves us from our past. He saves us from our present. He saves us from the future. He saves us from sin's penalty. He saves us from sin's power. He will save us from sin's presence. Uh, and that also speaks to the fact that because he saved us, he justified us in the past. He, he declared us as righteous. Oh, this is a legal term here. And, and then in the present, he is sanctifying us. And in the future, he will glorify us. He has saved us to the uttermost. So shame on folks who think they can lose their salvation when you didn't do anything to get it except believe and receive. Jesus did the work. He sealed it with his blood. He sealed it when he resurrected from the dead. It's not based on your works to get it, and it's not based on your works to lose it. Oh, wow. Saved to the uttermost. Man, the, 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 these are the basics of the faith. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, talking about this king on the throne. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, yeah, he took the scroll. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. It might have been Jesus, excellent, saying, you are worthy. To take the scroll, worthy, worthy, and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Oh, he redeemed us. He purchased us. He bought us with his blood. From every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. I just want to know, are you in that number? Are you a part of the group that's been redeemed by the blood of the lamb? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Are you saved? Are you born again? I didn't ask if you go to church. I didn't ask me to tell me about your grandmother or your grandfather who was a preacher. I'm asking you, and, and, and southern don't mean saved. I'm asking you. Do you know Jesus? I tell you what, he saved me in 1984. It was such an impact, I had to go back, grab a calendar, and find out what day that Friday was. It was June 29th, 1984. Church goer all my life, but I was on my way to hell. Going to church, baptized by my granddaddy at the age of nine. Scared when he baptized me because he was old. I didn't want him to drop me. There was crickets in the water. I didn't know Jesus, but I met him at a camp. I went there looking for girls and ended up running into Jesus. It was a serendipitous moment. A serendipity is when you go out looking for one thing, but you stumble on another thing that's better than the thing you were originally looking for. It was a serendipity. Oh, my God, I met him June 29th, 1984. I haven't been the same since. 
Now, one thing you don't want to be fuzzy on is your soul's salvation. Yes, people, you know, hey, man, you have a relationship with the Lord, and it's kind of fuzzy. You know, like a radio with static, you know. It's just kind of fuzzy, you know. You don't be fuzzy on this now. You, you want to be straight on this. Because if I ask you, can, can you give me directions from the church to your house? You should be able to tell me how to get from here to your house. And even if you don't know the exact streets, you're going to say, now there's a rock up on that corner up there. When you see that rock, turn left. You're going to come to a traffic light, turn right. You might not know all the streets and stuff, but you're going to tell me there's a Kmart. Well, no more Kmart. There's a Kroger over here. If you go up here, you done gone too far. Come back. You ought to be able to tell me how to get home from here. But if I ask you, can you tell me how to get from here to my heavenly home? Do you know the directions? Or are you going to tell me, uh, you need to come to church. Uh, uh, you, you need to talk to the pastor. Uh, uh, you need to do good works. It, that, that's fuzzy to me. So I guess I got to give you the ABCs, one, two, threes. A. Admit that you are a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died for your sins. C, confess him with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. The ABCs, man. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science. Believe on the Lord and you will be saved. But some of us are too arrogant to believe in the Lord because we're believing in ourselves as Lord. I challenge you to repent today. You are not worthy. The Bible says if you trust in yourself, you are a fool. But if you trust in the Lord, you will live. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. One, two, threes now. Uh, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ the Lord. Uh, two, there are two roads, one that leads to destruction and one that leads to heaven. Three, he got up on the third day. ABCs, one, two, threes, come to Jesus Christ. So you can be in that number in heaven. Because there's another number, oh Lord, you don't want to be in that number. That number is down there. Hell, the lake of fire. You don't have to go there. Because Jesus paid and purchased your salvation. You just have to receive him. But I got to let you know something before I move on that you will confess that he is Lord either now or later. I just need to let you know something. Your knees going to bow either now or later. You might as well do it now. Because if you don't bow your knee, if you don't confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will die in your sins. You will go to hell. And the Bible says in the book of Philippians that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess of things in heaven, that's where I'm going to be, of things on the earth, of things under the earth, that he's Lord. Do it now. Do it now. Do it while I'm preaching. Do it while you're watching online. Trust Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, he's still saving. He's still saving. But then he's interceding while he's up there on the right hand. Because the end of verse 25 of Hebrews 7 says that he always lives to make intercession for them. So he ain't going to save you and leave you hanging. He's going to give you help through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you got enough sense, you're going to hang out with other Christians who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who are a part of the church. You won't try to be some lone ranger Christian. No, he saved you for community. But then he says, I'm also going to be interceding for you. I'm going to be praying for you. My God, when Jesus prays, you know God hears his prayers. 
It's one thing when you pray for me. And some of you say you're going to pray for me, then you forget to pray for me. But Jesus don't forget to pray for you. He told Peter, Satan coming after you, but man, I done prayed for you. I prayed for, oh, he prays for his people. Romans 8, verse 34, who is he who condemns? Because a lot of condemnation out here. It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So he's praying for us. And prayer is work, which is why a lot of times we don't pray. Because it's work. The average Christian prays one minute a day. No one of the average Christian is average. The average pastor prays five minutes a day. No one of the average pastor is average, but something happens when we pray. Jesus prayed while he was on earth to let us know how important prayer is. Then he's going to pray while he's in heaven. And then we're going to walk around here prayerless, which is why we're powerless. If Jesus is praying here and there, should we not be praying? And then God says, not only is my son praying, the Holy Ghost is going to help you, Romans 8, when you don't even know how to pray, to give you the words to pray. He's going to take those moans and grow. That's how important prayer is. God says, the only way I can really cover you outside of the righteousness of my son and the blood of my son is through prayer. And if you won't pray, the Holy Ghost is going to pray. If you won't pray, Jesus is going to pray. But let's not leave them praying by themselves. Let's join and pray in the spirit on all occasions, making our requests known unto God. Oh, God, thank you. So he's up there in heaven sitting, he's saving, and he's interceding. But oh, we're not done yet. Go over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Jesus, what are you doing up there? Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Oh, Reverend Stephen, Deacon Stephen was preaching a word, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, look, I, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So what is Jesus doing in heaven? Oh, he's standing, brothers and sisters. God gave Stephen a glimpse of heaven before he died. Perhaps God did this to help him endure the cruelty and the violence he was about to face. The joy on the other side was going to help him endure the stones that was about to hit him upside his head. So God gave him a glimpse of glory. I still believe God does this sometimes with his saints when they're in the hospital, that he does this with his saints before they may go into some kind of tragedy like Stephen is here, that God gives them a glimpse of Why not? Why not to help them endure the pain of what they're about to go through? Romans 8.18 says, Paul says, I reckon that the suffering of this present age is not worthy to be compared to the glory of the Lord that shall be revealed unto me. My mother says she saw angels before she went. Don't you tell me God can't move like that. Getting folk ready for where they're about to go. Stephen said, heaven is open and Jesus is standing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus was sitting. I'm not saying he was chilling, but he was sitting on the throne. 
And he stands up. So what's the significance here? I believe he stood up in order to welcome and receive Stephen into glory. That's what I believe. I believe he was sitting on the throne at the right hand of God, and when he saw one of his children being martyred, he stood up. He could have stopped it, but he allowed it in plans that are only known to him, and we have to trust him when we don't understand. And Jesus stood up, I believe, to welcome him into heaven. Now, I'll go back to the Oval Office. Uh, let's see here. Uh, President Obama, if he's sitting in the Oval Office and someone with any level of dignity walks in, the most powerful person in the world has enough uh, decorum, there that word is again, to get up to honor the person coming in. Uh, Dorena, who's that lady that wrote the book on Juneteenth about marching, uh, Opal Lee? That when the president met her, oh, he honored her. He called her name. He stood up. And, and, and that's one thing when the president does that. But when the king of all kings gets up for you, oh, my God, it makes the suffering worth it. So I have to believe in my sanctified imagination that when every believer who's been living for Jesus crosses the threshold of glory after they fought the good fight, after they've kept the faith, after they run the race, that Jesus is there standing up, welcoming them as they come into glory. I believe he did that when my daddy went to glory on May 21st, 2000. I believe he did that when my mama went to glory on July 29th, 2021, that they met Jesus. Yeah, their faith became sight. And when they saw him, he just wasn't sitting on the throne. No, he got up and he welcomed them. He hugged them. Why? To be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. Oh, my. Oh, let, let me read the rest of uh, uh, Acts chapter 7. Then they cried out, verse 57, with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Now, remember, he just saw Jesus, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Another serendipitous moment. He was there for a stoning, but didn't know God was setting him up to save him. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord, here it is, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So not only is he standing, he's receiving, folks. Because the same one who said to the father, Father, receive my spirit, is now able to receive the spirit and the souls of the people who have trusted in him. And I love this boy, Stephen, because when I look at him, I see Jesus. And this is what I hope people will one day be able to say about me. When they look at me, they see Jesus. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit like Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 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 Stephen was uh, preaching the word like Jesus preached the word. Uh, Stephen prayed for his enemies like Jesus prayed for his enemies. When he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin, 
That's what Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then he said, Lord, receive my spirit the same way Jesus prayed and talked to the Father. Oh, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be full like Jesus. I want to preach like Jesus. I want to pray like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. And, Lord, I want to die like Jesus. Jesus was not afraid of death. Shame on Christians, man, if we're afraid of death and we know the resurrection and the life. We ought to be looking forward to say, my work here is done. I'm ready to go. And Stephen said, I'm ready. My labor is done. So this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus, for millions or rather for thousands of years has welcomed millions upon millions of believers in heaven. From the first century now to the 21st century, he's been getting up, welcoming people into heaven, getting up welcoming people into heaven. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So I'm getting tired just thinking about how many times he got to get up and uh, I got to get up, uh, I got to get up. I'm getting tired, but he don't get tired. He got to get up. He don't get tired. Welcoming his people into glory. So the king is in heaven. (laughs) And we just saw a couple of things that he's doing. Uh, Come out Wednesday night, and I'm going to give you 15 more things that he's doing for Bible study. Come out. Oh, my. And that's just all I could find. There's more. But, but, but okay, Pastor, he's in heaven. Now what? What I do with this message, Pastor? That, now what? Well, I want to ask you, where is your mind? As I close, where is your mind? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say, If you then were raised with Christ, that means if you've been born again, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting where? At the right hand of God. So so seek those things where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And if you read the rest of Colossians chapter 3, you'll see that he's saying your gaze in heaven ought to affect how you live on earth. Because of where you're looking, you ought to be able to make some adjustments in this life that are necessary. Because of where your sights are set, where your mind is. So Strong Tower, where is your mind today? Yeah, you know he's risen, but do you know he's the king in heaven? Because when you know he's the king of heaven, it changes everything. I've been trying to preach that, that when you know Jesus is the king and he rules over everything, everyone, every situation, every circumstance, every devil, every realm, it ought to change how we live. Well, I was put to the test with that about a month ago. I said, you know what, I need to get away and do some writing. And so I I, I jumped on an airplane to fly to Virginia. Because my in-laws said, you can stay at our house and you can do some writing. I was like, cool. But the plane had to stop in Baltimore, change planes, then get on another plane, then fly into Norfolk. So I'm on the second plane. I'm going into Norfolk, ready to write, ready to do what I got to do. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that the plane just kept circling around Norfolk. And there's water out there, and you can see, like, okay, we're in Norfolk, but, but, but why is the plane steady circling 
around Norfolk. And uh, 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 the pilot notified us. The pilot said, um, the plane is malfunctioning. And he kept flying around. Now, people are starting to get a little edgy. I just been preaching about he's king and he's in control. I'm trying not to panic because I don't know who know me on the plane. Is that Pastor Chris sweating bullets over there? There's a lady to my left. She is struggling. Other people are struggling. And then the pilot comes back and says, we're going to have to fly back to Baltimore. And we're going to have to fly back and, listen to this, and attempt to land in Baltimore. Oh, my goodness. When the pilot said we're going to have to attempt to land. That's when I started praying in the spirit. I started, Lord Jesus. But I looked up. I was sitting on an aisle, and I looked up. I saw the flight attendant sitting in the flight attendant chair with their back to the pilot. So I'm looking at the flight attendant, and the flight attendant was smiling. Now, folk on a plane panicking. Flight attendant was smiling. Flight attendant was talking to the ladies on the front row, and he was laughing. And, and so I said, wait a minute now. If it was that bad, he wouldn't be smiling and laughing and talking to these people. So after I prayed and set my mind to heaven, I then put my eyes on that flight attendant. <laughs> if he's chill, I'm going to be chill. So we're heading back to Baltimore. The word goes around the plane that the, uh, that the reason why the plane can't land is because the flight uh, flaps, that the flaps on the plane are not working correctly. So Virginia was like, y'all not landing that up in here. Y'all better go back to Baltimore and attempt to do that landing with them messed up flaps. Pilot comes back on the airway because brother hadn't talked for 20 minutes. And, and so it's silent up in there, but I'm looking at the flight attendant. He comes back on and he says, uh, now, when we land in Baltimore, do not be alarmed. He said this. I wrote it down. Do not be alarmed by the ambulances you see, the flashing lights, and the fire trucks. And I'm like, Jesus is king. Uh, he's in control of everything. Man, let me look back at that flight attendant some more. He's still laughing and talking and all that stuff. I said, okay, I'm going to be cool. Man, that pilot lands that plane, and it was a little rough, but he lands it. And when we all get on the ground, everybody's clapping. And, you know, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. The lady next to me, uh, because we had to go get on another flight uh, to go back to Virginia, I didn't see her on that next flight. That was it for her. She's like, I'm done. I'm done. So, so, so when people are getting off the plane, I stop by and I talk to the flight attendant. I say, I just want to let you know something. I kept my eyes on you. And because you was cool, I was cool. Because you were calm, I was calm. And he said, you know, hey, I'm just trying to do my job. The ladies up front were real nervous, and I just had to encourage them. Well, I said, you encouraged me because I was looking at your Strong Tower Bible Church. I stopped by to let you know, you got to keep your eyes on the flight attendant. And the flight attendant, his name is Jesus Christ. 
You got to keep your eyes on him now. You got to set your mind on him now. He's the king in heaven now. And I need to let you know something. He's not panicking up there. So don't you panic down here. He's not wondering how things are going to work out up there. So don't you wonder how things are going to work out down there. He's not afraid up there. So don't you be afraid down here. Set your mind. Keep your eyes on the king who is in heaven. And everything will bring you to a smooth landing in this thing called life. Amen. While you're standing, come on, let's pray. Come on, stand to your feet. Keep your mind, keep your eyes on him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He's not twiddling his thumbs on the throne, wondering how things are going to work out. He's declared and decreed how things are going to work out. I just need to trust him. I can trust him for salvation, but for some reason I can't trust him for the next five minutes. What's wrong with me? It's the test of my faith. Jesus, you are seated on the throne. <laughs> that was your seat. That is your seat. No one is worthy to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. Thank you, Lord, for how you save us from that throne. Thank you, Lord, for how you intercede, how you just lean on over to the Father and say, help Chris right now, Lord, he's struggling. Thank you, Lord, for how from that throne you stand up and you receive us when we go into glory. Thank you, Jesus, for being real like that. When our faith will become sight. But until that day, we will set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where there's power, where there's authority. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. Now, Lord, may we go out of here living like we believe that you're in control. Lord, there's folks right now, stuff is out of control in their lives. But Lord, that's just evidence that they need you. That's just evidence that they are not you. But Lord, you're able to speak peace amid our chaos. You're able to speak and the waves and the wind calm down. Lord, would you do that for your people today? Give them peace amid the storm. Give them joy in the midst of suffering. May we keep our eyes on the risen Christ. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And this according to the power that's working within us, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Give Jesus a hand praise. Come on, give him one, give him one. He's worthy. He's so worthy. He's so good. He sits high, but he looks low. He's a good God. Now, now, would you just greet a couple of people and say, thank God for my flight attendant named Jesus. Can, can you just greet somebody before you leave today? Have a wonderful day in the Lord. And Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday evening for Bible study.